0: Darling, I was on a vacation recently and stayed at an Airbnb. And then I realized that while I was away, my empty house could be making money, honey. If you're someone like me that is busy and not home all the time, your home could be an Airbnb. And it's actually pretty simple to get started. Even if you don't have a whole house, you could start with just a spare room. every month because like yes good credit so let's like do try to do that and like making responsible decisions which we love um but anyway don't wait to make smart financial decisions compare and find smarter credit cards savings accounts and more today at nerdwallet.com Nerdwallet, finance smarter reminder credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm Jonathan Van Ness, and every week I sit down for a 40-minute conversation with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious. Buckle up, everybody, because today I am joined by Senator Elizabeth Warren, where I ask her, how will you win the White House in 2020? Ah, I can't believe it. Oh, my gosh. Ah, ah, oh, my gosh. All right. Without any further ado, let's get to this gorgeous interview.
1: oh my god hi i'm so excited to meet you
0: how are you i feel like i
1: already know you you look fabulous. thank you so do you i can't believe you're here do you want to I'm see i'm delighted you bad. oh my god so let's no go. Oh, elizabeth
0: come on. oh my okay. i can't go. okay I, oh my god okay are we gonna do headphones do I do Oh, because we
1: look so cool in headphones. headphones. Well, because then I you can really
0: see yourself or it. hear yourself. I just yep. said see yourself instead of hear yourself because I'm so nervous.
1: That's all right. We got it.
0: I feel more I mean, nervous in here. I have do, a bigger It's okay. It's a, oh, oh, my God. No, if you need to adjust the size, honey.
1: I mean, oh, there we go. Was, there we go. I was like I jumping
0: it. in. Of course you do. Thank you. Um. No, well, thank you Uh. so much for taking your time to come here. Oh. Um. You are so busy. I think you're the busiest person.
1: But, you know, this is important because you're important. Uh, it's uh, true. And because we get to talk about things that are important.
0: We do. And, you know, every episode of Getting Curious is like a question. And so mm-hmm. the one that I was like, okay, if I, if I ever was blessed to get the time to get to have a chance to talk to Senator Warren, I will eventually— Elizabeth,
1: you don't stop this. Okay, fine. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm.
0: It's going to be—I respect you so much, it's like hard to call you by your first name, but I'm going to be comfortable with it now. Yeah. So, um— I was like, how are we gonna win this election? Not we, how are you, how are we, how are, because we're, we're obviously a strong coalition. Right. You know, you've, you've really got a strong coalition yes. going. Yes. So, you know, really, how are we gonna do it? And I think the first question that comes to my mind for listeners are if they don't know, maybe you've been living under a rock and you don't know who Elizabeth is mm-hmm. or Senator Warren is or mm-hmm. just the everything that it's okay. It's just one little door, not a big deal. Everyone, if you heard that that was a door, it's not a big deal. It's not the first time, not the last. <laughs> So, um, I, I mean your your career is incredible. You are an educator. You are a lawyer. You. Uh, I just want you to have a moment to. And I'll stop talking from nervousness any moment now. I just wanted to have. Who are you? You know, tell the people who don't know who you are. Who you are? Good.
1: So uh, I was born and raised in Oklahoma. I am the baby in the family. I in have, what city? In Oklahoma City is what's ultimately, but my family's from Hughes County. Wotonga. I have a bunch of family from Enid. We, oh, Enid's where my brother took flight training. Really? Vance Air Force Base. Oh, my, my gosh. Man? I had family oh, from there too. Or oh, they, yes. they went to the Air Force there too. Yes, yes. Interesting. So, anyway, you're the baby. So, in the I, I'm the baby. Uh, I have three much older brothers, including the brother who was in Enid. And um, I'm what used to be called a late-in-life baby. My mother always just called me the surprise. And my three brothers to this day are still referred to as the boys, even though they're all retired all back (laughs) in Oklahoma. And that's to distinguish them from the surprise. And when we were growing up, our daddy had a lot of different jobs. He sold paint. He sold carpet. He sold fencing. Um, And then when I was in middle school, um, the boys were all gone by then. Uh, They all went off and joined the military. Um, And Daddy had a heart attack. And this was an important moment for me. I'm I'm just a kid. And yet I remember um, when we lost the family station wagon. Uh, I remember how my mother is to tuck me in at night and give me this big smile. And then she'd leave the room and close the door, and I knew what was coming next. She'd start to cry, never wanted to cry in front of me. And um, I remember the day that I walked into my folks' bedroom uh, and uh, laid out on the bed is the dress, the one that only comes out for weddings, funerals, and graduations. And my mother's in her slip and her stocking feet and she's pacing and she's got her head down and she's saying, we will not lose this house. Uh-huh. We will not lose this house. We will not lose this house. She was 50 years old. She had never worked outside the home and she was terrified. Uh, but there's no money coming in and uh so she walks to the Sears, pulls that dress on, walks to the Sears, and she gets a f- full-time minimum wage job answering phones. And I always think of it as the f- first lesson my mother taught me. No matter how scared you are and no matter how hard it looks, when it comes down to it, you reach down deep. You find what you have to find. You take care of yourself yourself and the people you love. And years later, I came to understand it's what millions of people do across this country every day, no matter how hard it looks, no matter how scared they are. They reach down deep. They find what they have to find. They take care of themselves and the people they love. But it was years after that that I came to understand that story, also a story about government. Because when I was a kid, a full-time minimum wage job in America would support a family of three. It would It would pay a mortgage, it would cover utilities, and it would put food on the table. Today, a full-time minimum wage job in America will not keep a mama and a baby out of poverty. That is wrong, and that is why I am in this fight. Because right now,
0: the federal minimum wage is like – like. Eight or nine... Seven and a quarter.
1: Ah! They haven't raised it. And they haven't raised it in over a decade. $7.25.
0: Yeah, just give me a break here. That is not... and even in small towns, that is not a living...
1: In fact, it is so bad that I read not long ago that there is no county in America. So we're not just talking, you know, like what you can't do in New York or Los Angeles or Chicago or San Antonio. No county in America where somebody making minimum wage, working 40 hours a week, can afford a two-bedroom apartment, the median two-bedroom apartment. Think about that. And and this is about why the shift? Why when I was a girl, is it different from how it is now? And here's the answer. When I was a girl, the, the basic question asked in Washington was, what does it take a family of three to survive? They They're thinking about the minimum wage, and they say, what does it take a family to get a toehold in America's middle class? What does it take a family to have something solid they can build on? Today, the question asked in Washington is, where do we set the minimum wage to maximize the profits of giant multinational corporations? Well, I don't want a government that works for giant multinational corporations. I want one that works for our families.
0: So what about, yes— what about for people when we hear like giant multinational corporation? What are some examples of that?
1: Oh, it, there are so many of them. I mean, that's part of the problem right now is that companies you may think of as American companies, you know, companies that uh, build cars, companies that build farm equipment, uh, Google and Amazon, the truth is they're all around the world. So they may have... Um, headquarters here in the United States. They may have their papers that show them to be an American company. But understand this, Jonathan, they don't have any uh, notion of loyalty to the United States. They're not patriotic, these these giant companies. They owe loyalty to just one thing, and that is profits, yep. bottom line. So man, if they can save a nickel, moving a job, outside the United States, they'll do it in a heartbeat. If they can save a nickel by laying off some people the week before Christmas, they'll do it in a heartbeat. And that's why when you've got a a market economy, a capitalist economy, you gotta have rules and the rules have to be enforced. And among those rules is those who are rich, those who make it big, have to pitch in some so everybody gets a chance in this country.
0: Yes. let's. Which that leads us perfectly into the wealth tax. Yes. And I think that the wealth tax is something that is a really fundamentally uh, amazing idea and the one that will become law and it's going to be amazing. Let's do it. But I think it's like, I had a, several things that I wrote down when you were talking about that. What do you think has, I mean, so essentially I, what I hear you saying is that in the 70s, 60s 70s like 80s like there was a there was a question in Washington which was like what would it cost the american average family of 3 to like get a toehold in the middle class right. economy. It, and I know that there wasn't like a switch that was flipped when that Although it was like, pretty close. Was it? What <laughs> yes, was it? Yes, it
1: was. So what you see is basically about the time Ronald Reagan gets elected. Now there's a little run up to it in the late 70s. But Ronald Reagan gets elected and one of the very first things he does after running on, you know, now it's all going to be great. He breaks the backs of one of the main unions. It was called was the uh, uh, air traffic controllers. And when he does that, the importance of that is not just that he destroyed that union, and he did, he broke a strike, but it's that it's like he held up a giant sign to big corporations and said, you know what, if you go after your unions, psh, you're not going to get any trouble from the White House. If you decide to start moving jobs out of the US, good union jobs that are providing a good middle class life for families, you're not going to get any trouble from this White House. And you watch it just start happening an inch at a time. And particularly moving jobs out that were union jobs. And you know why? It's not just that those jobs paid well so that they could save money by having that job done somewhere else where wages were a lot lower. It's also about power. Think about an economy where you've got big corporations and and workers who have equal power. Mm. Think about the difference between that kind of an economy and an economy where those union jobs – many of them have just disappeared. So the proportion of workers in the workforce who are union workers goes down and goes down and goes down. And, and here's the thing. We, we actually know, you can track the numbers on this, that unionization not only helps the folks who are in the unions, and it definitely does. Wages are higher. Working conditions are higher. Job stability is higher. It also helps every other worker. In other words, when unions get out and fight for better pay. It turns out everybody's pay goes up. When unions get out and fight for more respect in the workforce, everybody gets a little more respect in the workforce. And so much of this battle between the giant corporations and the unions was over who's going to be calling the shots
0: which is a really good time to take a really quick little tiny break. Oh, we'll let's do it. We'll be right back with more. Senator Warren, who I'm allowed to call Elizabeth right now. You better. I am. Um, and we'll be right back with more um, getting curious right after this. They always say trust your gut. But one time, my gut told me to bleach my eyebrows. And that was fashionable, but not widely well-received. While probiotics can't help you with most of your gut decisions, it can give your gut a little bit of support. And Ritual has your back. They made a three-in-one supplement with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Did you know daily disturbances like poor diets, stress, travel, the use of certain medications, and plenty of other factors can throw off your gut microbiome? Oh, no! Enter Ritual. Their Symbiotic Plus has been a gorgeous tool. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com curious. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com curious for 25% off. Okay. So I wrote down like several things um, and I do want to talk about the wealth tax, but I originally what I wanted to ask, or when I was saying, you know, who is Elizabeth Warren? And when I was like fighting back tears, cause like, oh my God, I can't believe you're telling me like, I can't believe I'm like, it's too much, but I love it. But well, not that you had hardships in your family, but I love that you like took your time to share a story with me. But what I, the part that I was kind of trying to get to is that you, You know, people now that are maybe new to the Elizabeth Warren party are like, oh, she's the candidate who has like a plan for that. But there's a reason that you have a plan for that. And that is because you have like some because I'm getting curious, like I live for a resume. I live for like an expert, a lawyer, a Ph.D., like a doctor. And you are a prior to becoming a senator, you were a leading expert on studying the economy and healthcare. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that a lot of people maybe don't. They're like, why does she have all these ideas? Well, because she's been doing this for a hot minute, you know? Yeah. So that's why I kind of wanted to set the stage and, and there's some pretty cool like you have some pretty fierce titles um which you probably uh, you <laughs> yes 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 but the 2007 2008 financial crisis, and then becoming appointed to oversee the Obama's institution of the um the Tark. yes, mm-hmm. and then you go on to win the senator race in Massachusetts. You become the first female senator ever elected from the state of Massachusetts, mm-hmm. which is so incredible, so cool. And then you went on the in a landslide. And 2018. that was
1: fun. We have to talk about that. Okay, uh-huh.
0: right? can't wait to talk about that. Um, but it's like it's so basically you are saying that it was kind of like a a, a switch that was flipped, like Reagan coming in after because.
1: Carter
0: was very, like, you know, solar panels. Like, I feel like he was probably pretty pro-union, like, good for, you know, people. And then Reagan, that was, like, a hard shift. Obviously, like, the HIV-AIDS crisis, like, yep. was a, a huge blemish on the United States, like, history and how people were treated. And Reagan had a huge part to do with that, um, which I've also talked about on this podcast a lot. Um so, but that was the era where you feel like it became much more about like corporate interests. Yep. And what I think is interesting about that is just the dynamic. So you are like, think about a, an economy that has like an equally strong like corporation people and then union people. Mm-hmm. So what's like, what did that do to our economy? We're just like losing our middle class over a long period of time. The rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer sort of a thing.
1: It's not only the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. It's the rich are getting richer and everybody else is feeling the stretch is getting squeezed. So this is about America's middle class, America's working class, America's working poor, America's poor, poor, America's homeless. It's about everybody. And here's how I look at this. It's that just inch at a time. Most of the time not in a big visible way. The government worked a little in Washington, worked a little better and a little better and a little better for those at the top, for those who made campaign contributions, for those who hired armies of lobbyists and lawyers, for those who had bought and paid for experts and, and these so-called think tanks. And you just watch it an inch, an inch, an inch until what we have now is we have an economy that is doing great. Stock market is up. GDP is up. But all of that wealth is getting sucked to a smaller and smaller group at the top, and less and less to anyone else.
0: And do you think that that could, if because if a lot of young people may not remember the financial crisis of two thousand and seven mm-hmm. and eight? I was a nineteen year old. I was just out of hair school, and it was insane because I went to, I moved to Phoenix, and I got really busy really quick. Like there was money aplenty. The Super Bowl was coming. It was like I, I had clients. Like it was the era of the salon where you could just go sit in the back room, and if you knew how to cut yourself out of a paper bag, you were going to get clients. And within then January of 08 happen and it was the Super Bowl had came, and it was really, really busy. And then all of a sudden, like, it was March, which should be really busy in Arizona. And all of a sudden, there was no clients. Mm-hmm. Like, people were, like, suicide rates, like, went up. Like, it was, like, I mean, you couldn't find a client. Like, I mean, the curtain went up. and Because usually, like, you were prepared for summer in Arizona. Like, when you're in a service industry, you know that, like, summer's not where it, when everyone's going to come to Phoenix. Um, but it was unprecedented. Mm-hmm. And that was actually part of why I moved to Los Angeles. Because, and in that time, it was, like, the whole, like, it like mortgages, subprime lenders. I think that's like a bigger thing that I don't really understand all of, but weren't, correct me if I'm wrong, but weren't there a lot of like similar f- factors going on at that crisis that there are now? Yes. And oh, and one other thing that, oh my God, everyone hold on to your seats for this. Cause this is like, okay. One thing I heard you say that kind of reminds me of one thing that Voldemort says, mm-hmm. Donald Trump mm-hmm. is, Again, this is a concern of voter, voters, so I think that this is really good, is that the jobs are going away. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I think people fell for with him is that he's going to bring them back. Like, he was saying, like, we're going to bring them back. We're going to stop these loopholes for when people move things offshore. You know, like, we're going to make, we're going to bring, we're going to make America great again. Mm-hmm. And if you notice, it's still car companies are closing, still factories are closing. Like, that part doesn't seem like it's changing. But you also said... There's these loopholes where, like, these multinational corporations, like, you know, it's like you're not going to get any – like, so there's these laws that are in place. Like, obviously, you don't want that to happen. But I'm just saying that, like, we both sides recognize an issue that jobs are leaving. Mm -hmm. But it's like the approach to fix it are wildly different. Because it's like – well, I guess that's because they don't really have an approach. But they would say that they have an approach, don't they? But they don't. They don't.
1: They don't because that's not their concern. Because they're just like their stock concern markets, is yes, profits. That's, yes. that's exactly right. And if you start out rich, this is a great, great economy for you because you can just get richer and richer and richer and richer. And it really is about who government works for. Let me tell you a quick story about government. Yes. So back long, long time ago, back in the seventies, I'm a young mom, right? And toaster ovens could start fires. And here's how it worked. Those little toaster ovens with the slide-out trays, they didn't have automatic shut-off switches. So you could put four slices of bread in it, stick the thing in, turn it on, go off and do something else, come back, and the flames would be leaping up like eight inches in the air. You could catch the kitchen curtains on fire. You could catch the cabinets on fire. Ask me how I know. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you got it. Uh, My daddy, for Christmas one year along in there, bought me a fire extinguisher. So... Consumer Product Safety Commission comes along and says, enough. You're not doing that anymore. You can't sell toasters that could have a one-in-five chance of burning down your house. Bang. They put a safety switch on it. We're done. That's government that works for the people. Yes. So, by the early 2000s, this is the time you're starting to talk about, but earlier. What's happening is mortgages have gotten so complex and dangerous in America you ready for this? They had a one in five chance of costing people their homes, not obviously from fire, but from foreclosure. Only this time, the government was deep in the pocket of the big banks, so they let them keep selling it until they crashed the whole economy in two thousand eight. So there's government on one side, government on the other. So I go to Washington. I'm not in. I'm not an elected official. I go and I say, I've got this idea for this consumer agency, kind of like the one on toasters. You shouldn't be able to sell mortgages and credit cards and payday loans that cheat people. Student loans shouldn't be able to do that. And people in Washington told me two things. The first one is, that is a really great idea. You could make a real difference, structural change. Second thing they tell me, don't even try because mm. Wall Street will be against you and the big money will be against you and the Democrats will be against Some of the Democrats, all the Republicans will be against you. So don't even try. Change is hard. And I get it. Big structural change is hard, but it was the right thing to do. So I got in that fight, got others into it. We took on Wall Street. We took on the big banks. And in 2010, Barack Obama signed that agency into law. And it has already forced big banks to return more than $12 billion to people they cheated. It's handled a million and a half complaints. That's how you can make structural change. So for me, what this is all about is to say, we can make government work for the people, but we got to do it. It's on you and me, Jonathan. It's not on any – nobody else is going to do this. If we're going to leave this to the billionaires, <clears throat> excuse me, government's just going to work better for the billionaires. So, hello? You know, no surprise see, here. Yeah. So, for me, it's all about we got to build a grassroots movement. So, when I made the decision to run for president, what I said is I'm spending exactly zero time sucking up to billionaires – Uh, to corporate executives. I'm not going to do any closed-door fundraisers. I'm not going to sell access to my time. I'm going to fund this entirely grassroots. And I hope anybody who's listening who thinks that's a good idea goes to ElizabethWarren.com, pitch in five bucks, 15 bucks. But this is our chance in a democracy to be able to build a movement to make the kind of change so that healthcare works for people, so that education works for the people, so that we get the jobs that work for the people, so we get housing. I've actually got a great housing plan, bring down the cost of housing by building more housing. We can do these things if we make the government work for us. But if we're going to let it all be about billionaires and people who suck up to billionaires we're going to have a government that just keeps working better for them. It's really kind of an either or
0: here. So with the wealth tax, would that Mm -hmm. be done by like law or by executive action? uh,
1: You got to do this one by law, but I love this one. Let me tell everybody what the wealth tax is. So this is so much fun. So this says your accumulated wealth, you know, you add up everything you've got. If you're under $50 million, you're cool. You're free and clear. But on your 50 millionth and first dollar you got to pitch in two cents on a wealth tax and two cents on every dollar after that. And the whole basic idea, is like property taxes on a home. You got this stuff, only it says for the bazillionaires, it's not just their real estate, it's their stock portfolio, the diamonds, the Rembrandt, and the yacht. So you count up how much they've got, they pitch in two cents for everything over $50 million. And now here's the amazing thing, Jonathan. We ask them to pay Two cents, and what can we do with two cents? Well, universal child care, every one of our babies age zero to five. Universal pre-K, every three-year-old and four-year-old in America. Stop exploiting the mostly women, mostly black and brown women who do this work. We can raise the wages of every child care worker and preschool teacher in America. We can put $800 billion of new money into K-12, so every school can be an excellent school. Quadruple the funding for Title I schools that are teaching low-income kids. Fully fund IDEA so kids with uh, with disabilities get the kind of education they need. We can do that for our babies, that for K-12 plus. We can, we can pay for technical school, two-year college, four-year college, for anybody who wants to get an education. We can put $50 billion into our historically black colleges and universities and help level the playing field. And one more thing on that same two cents, all of that for our babies, all of that for K-12, all that for folks going to school, we can cancel student loan debt for 43 million Americans. Mm. It's our values, Jonathan. Is it more important— to have that two cents stay tied up in those great fortunes that are already growing at, what, 6%, 8%, 10% a year. Say, come on, guys, pitch two cents in. And then we can invest in an entire generation of young people. That's the America we could be, an America of opportunity, not just for some, an America of opportunity for everyone.
0: Mm. We're going to be right back with more Senator Warren, Elizabeth, after the break, Elizabeth, after the break, uh, just a few commercials. We'll be right back after this. If you're like me, the threat of fascism is weighing on you this year. But even when the F word is uttered, way too few of us are considering the full scope of the danger, let alone how to really stop it. The Refuse Fascism podcast hosted by Sam Goldman names it, dissects it, and connects in-depth analysis of what fascism is with the understanding and urgency we need to defeat it. And she is joined by great guests to discuss the threat of civil war, attacks on abortion rights and trans rights, Trump and the Theocrats, Project 2025, efforts to erase history and critical thinking, and much more. Check out recent episodes featuring Kathleen Ballou, Jeff Charlotte, Sarah Posner, Wujahat Ali, Dahlia Lithwick, and many more. Subscribe to the Refuse Fascism podcast on your listening platform of choice or go to refusefascism.org slash podcast. Welcome back to Getting Curious. So do you see the wealth tax as a way of kind of bringing the middle class and creating more of one by creating more opportunity for people to go to school and being able to get out of the student debt to kind of repopulate the middle class?
1: Bingo! That is exactly the right way to think about it. So let's say
0: that just cuz i'm really bad at millions. Let's say you have $50. Mm. And let's say the like like or maybe i guess millions cuz i don't want to scare people. But it's like how does that work? Like how would you like assess people's fortune? Would it be off like IRS records
1: or something? Like So actually it's not so hard because the big chunk of that fortune is held in the stock market right now. So we kind of know where a big part of it is. And look, when someone dies, you have to do this anyway. They have to be able to identify their estates. And the big fortunes probably unlike a lot of the folks they actually have their own money managers. So they keep a pretty careful track of where the money is and where the assets are and so on. And yeah, it's got some startup costs until you get a hold of all this. But sort of once you've done it, you've done it. If you had the Rembrandt last year, you either better have the Rembrandt or the cash this year, right? One way or the other. So is
0: that how it would work? Like if you had a Rembrandt, like that was like, would they always just pay two cents on like the value of that Rembrandt? Yep.
1: Yep. Once you're up at those high levels, because that thing is appreciating, right? That thing... It, you know, there's an old saying, it takes money to make money. And that's actually what's gone off the rails here, is the folks who've got money just keep making more and more and more. Do and more. I'll tell you something about taxes, in fact. So the 99% in America uh, right now pay about 7.2% of their total wealth in taxes. 72 the top one tenth of one percent, which is what I'm talking about here, they pay three point two percent.
0: You know that's just not like 50%.
1: right. Yeah, yeah, you're paying a lot, but the top—they've got all the folks who advise them how to take care of every tax loophole, and that's the problem. These guys are not paying a fair share, and I'm—I'm I'm not. Look, my deal is. Uh, there's some billionaires, you're going to be shocked to hear this, who don't actually like my plan. Yeah. I, I know you're surprised by this. And they're doing things like they're getting on the phone and talking to each other and saying, oh, will you run for president? You know, we got to do something. Uh, another one went on TV and cried uh, about how terrible it is if he had to pay a two cent wealth tax.
0: And, it's and, like you'd have to sell your 80 bedroom mansion for like a 60 bedroom mansion yeah, or something.
1: I, you know, the truth is, since they're growing these fortunes, it really mostly would mean it just wouldn't grow quite as fast. It's like no
0: one's selling houses, no one's gonna have to sell their dang Rembrandt. Like you're gonna be fine. But also, what is so disgusting about that as a someone who lives in New York City, has lived in L.A., how are we walking past people who yeah. do not have places to live? Yep. People are in danger. Like homelessness is a growing issue in in cities that aren't even near New York and Los Angeles. Like. How are we, like, where has our humanity gone that we don't care?
1: You know, but that's what this is all about. I think of it as our values. What do we value the most? Do we really value letting those at the top keep a bigger and bigger share of what they've accumulated? Or do we say, wait a minute, think of it this way. When billionaires go on TV to cry and they say, oh, you know, I worked hard, well, yeah, good. And so did a lot of people. And good for you. You had a great idea. You followed it through. You turned it into something terrific. But here's the deal. You built a great fortune in America I guarantee you built it at least in part using workers. All of us help pay to educate. You built it at least in part getting your goods to market on roads and bridges. All of us help pay to build. You built it at least in part protected by police and firefighters. All of us help pay their salaries. We're Americans. We love it. We're glad to pay for it. We want to build opportunity. All we're saying is when you make it big, I mean really big, I mean top one-tenth of one percent big. Pitch in two cents so everybody else gets a chance to make it. Pitch in two cents so we can invest in a generation. I've got a housing plan. We need I to build, hear about it. Oh, and I want to talk about 3.2 million new housing units across America. We have a housing crisis in big cities. We have a housing crisis in small towns. We have a housing crisis in rural America. And a big part is we just don't have enough housing supply anymore. You know, the the developers that built the little two-bedroom, one-bath house, you know, like the kind I grew up in, garage converted to hold yes. my three brothers, you know, their bedroom. Um, they're now building McMansions. And I'm not mad at them. They build that because that's where the profits are. And the federal government that once invested in lots of housing has basically pulled out of that. So what I want to see us do, it's it's just like you say, it's about our values. I want to see us build new housing units, and that means middle class, working class, working poor, poor, poor. I want to see it for the homeless, for seniors who want to age in place, for people with disabilities, for people who are coming back from incarceration. We need more housing in America. So,
0: yes. Now— you were in Atlanta a few weeks ago. Oh yes. Yeah, and and you were and I think you what what were what was your message in Atlanta? If people didn't get to if people didn't get to hear it.
1: So, we had a what Atlanta was about is about how we got to come together as working people and pick up each other's battles as our own. So, I told the story of the black washerwomen in Atlanta. In, uh, oh, about 15, 20 years after the Civil War, how they were just doing this backbreaking work for just almost no pay. And how one day they decided enough and they laid down their washboards and went on strike. Can you imagine? Uh, and uh, the strike grew from a few to a few more. Ultimately, they were joined by the few whitewasher women, also in Atlanta, and they exercised their power together, and eventually, much back and forth, the rich and the powerful in town backed down, and they got two things out of it. They got a little more pay, which was important, and they got a little respect. They were treated better, and Partly what that's a story about is people working together, the importance of unions and the importance of working across race lines. Now, the next part of the story, as you know, is a bad part of the story about Jim Crow laws. And talking about Jim Crow as not only a way to bear down hard on African-Americans, but to make sure that African-American workers always stayed separated from white workers. In other words, turn people against people. Encourage people to stand on opposite sides because when they come together, they got a lot more power. So I talked about that story and talked about what we need to do as a country. Donald Trump has a strategy. Oh, he's got a strategy. Turn people against people. Turn white against black and brown. Turn straight against gay and trans, particularly trans. Turn Christian against Muslim. Turn everybody against immigrants. Because he hopes that if we all stay turned against each other, that nobody will notice. That he and his corrupt cronies are stealing both the wealth and the dignity of this country,
0: which I was—I've written that down a couple times. I'm like Trump, Trump. I was like, <laughs> like, why would a real estate developer who like is a essential landlord want to help enact policies that make it harder to build houses? Huh?
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> exactly wrong like, right. because I feel
0: like there's so much there's so much corruption yeah. like that we don't actually know about. Because I'm just like waiting for um. For his, for his tax, for this, the court that just said that they like, because I really feel like there's like, I mean, obviously the impeachment hearings have been like, I think it's like a smoking gun for impeachment. I think every rational person does. But it would be great to have those emails from, like, Mike Pompeo and and Giuliani. There's just, re- just really just—I really. just want the tapes. Like, I mean, yeah. I already believe everything, but it's like—and like, I think that, like, his tax returns— You really want
1: to feel the grossness of it, right? It's, I mean, I think
0: it's like the Watergate uh-huh. tapes. Yeah. I mean, it's like, on those tapes, you had Nixon talking about using marijuana to suppress the vote of uh-huh. black and brown people. And I think he said hippies. <laughs> but, like, but, I mean, to suppress the vote. I mean, this power, like, separate and divide tactic and then really— like secret secret bad stuff is like something i think those administrations had very much yeah. in common um but it's like i just feel like there has to be like a so much like emoluments clause rolling over uh, his children doing so many like accepting gifts that like at the in the stopovers in scotland there's just so many things i'm just that is just stressing me out generally. I obviously know where.
1: At- so, So think of it this way, Jonathan. I, I get why you're stressed out, and it you're right to be stressed out. It's horrible. But think of it this way. Go back to Reagan. This country has had just a little more corruption and a little more corruption and a little more corruption year after year after year. A little more of the lobbyists, a little more of the campaign contributions, a little more and a little more. So now we have a country that works great for giant drug companies, not for people trying to get a prescription filled, yeah. how you and I met. Yeah. Uh, we have a country that works great for people who want to make money investing in private prisons and private detention prisons. centers yes, yes. down at the border. Not for the people whose lives that you are torn apart. That? Oh, yes. We got hit? this. We got this. Okay. Wait. We've got a country that works great for giant oil companies that want to drill everywhere, just not for the rest of us who see climate change bearing down upon us. So when you see a country that works great for the rich and not for much of anyone else, it's corruption. But here's the thing, worse year by year by year, going back to the 80s, but Donald Trump has taken this to new heights, heights like people never believed could happen. As you say, with his kids, with his personal what he's done for himself, amazing, God, horrible. But what that's done is that's made a lot of people say, whoa, wait a minute, I I got to pay some attention here. People have come off the sidelines. We saw this in the elections of 2017, the few we had then, remember, in Virginia? Yeah, yes, yes. Then we watched it in 2018. Now we're yes. watching it again in 2019. People are off the sidelines. And now this is the question in the Democratic primary. So what are we gonna offer? Are we gonna say business as usual after Donald Trump? Or are we gonna say, wait a minute, the doors open a crack for big structural change. The doors open a crack that we don't go back to the old corruption. We say, nope, gonna be a government that's gonna work for the people. We're going to put a two-cent wealth tax on these guys at the top. We're going to build more housing. We're going to live our values down at the border, not take children away from their families. We're going to offer more aid in Central America to help stabilize down there. So you got
0: – We've talked about that on this oh, podcast. We're God. big on that. I mean, oh. Yeah, because we we've taken – we've done – we have so much uh, – we have done so much in Central America to cause the destabilization that that is causing this immigration crisis now that, you know, the way that Donald Trump uh, talked about that and the, the dehumanization that he yes. perpetuated on people that are fleeing violence that this country gave and kind of it's, you it, know, is truly mind blowing. I think so many people don't understand that, but I think another thing that I just wanted to ask is, you know, primary infighting nominee, um, and this whole divide and conquer tactic. I mean, I see you as the next president of the United States. Yay. And and as seeing you as the next president of the United States, it's like you would also be the leader of the Democratic Party. And it's like, what would you say to, you know, Obama's recently come out talking about, you know, everything is nuanced and things aren't perfect. And and I think there's a lot of wisdom in the things that he mm-hmm. said. Um, but what do you say to like young voters who are on Twitter who will be like, well, so and so didn't do this? within us you know and like how do we calm us down to bring out that coalition that did because i mean obama did win twice Mm -hmm. so and but i don't know like what the electoral map that you're going to win is going to look like i don't know what that grassroots coalition will come together to look like and how it'll differ and i'm sure pundits on every single news cycle will you know talk about that but it's like how do we come together and 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 get that coalition together, or even even cuter one? I like one. I
1: like that. I like that. And I think the answer is two part. One is that Trump has gotten a lot of folks to say, "Whoa whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Maybe we better rethink this whole thing because we cannot hand this over to Trump." But far more importantly is the things we are fighting for. So think about what it means to say, part of the, you know, the core part of what I want to get out there and fight for is canceling student loan debt for 43 million Americans. We cancel student loan debt for 43 million Americans. That's a huge difference. It's a huge difference in what people can do for the, with their lives. It's a huge difference in the kind of futures they can build. And it's a huge difference for our economy. This is a boost in our economy. That when we talk about Universal child care for all of our babies. That's mamas and some daddies who are going to be able to finish school, who are going to be able to get a decent job, who are going to be able to hold that job down and know that their kids are not only well taken care of, they're getting a good start in life, good early childhood education. When we talk about housing, it's about decent housing for everyone, not passing people on the street who who don't know where they're going to be tonight. Not saying to seniors, uh, sorry, there's no place for you to live because you're just going to have to go into a nursing facility because there's no senior living housing that's right for you. People with disabilities, you can't live independently because there's no place that's set up for that. People who've been incarcerated, you're shut out of the whole thing because, boy, we don't want you in places where there's federal money being spent. No, no. We can be a country that says, when you do well, we all do well. We want everybody to just have a chance out there. And the thing is, we are a country that produces an enormous amount of wealth. We could do this. We just got to ask those at the top. We just got to ask those giant corporations that you got to pitch in a little money and you gotta follow some basic rules. You pitch in a little money, you follow some basic rules. We could have an amazing country, not a country of the past. We didn't have that country. We could build something so extraordinary in this country. We could build the America of dream big and fight hard.
0: Love that. So it's really like a new coalition of people coming together yep. that like that is what it is. Yep. Great. Yep. So you have um, a lot coming up, but we have like Iowa coming up. We also have like a probably impending like impeachment trial. Yep. Um, Do you? I mean, there's probably not going to be like like enough Republican senator unless we really like. I mean, never say never.
1: Never say never. Look, at, at the end of the day, the impeachment for me. This isn't about politics. This is about everyone in the Senate, everyone in the House took an oath of office to uphold the Constitution of the United States of America. We did not take an oath to a political party. We did not take an oath to a man who now sits as president. It is the Constitution. And the Constitution is clear. No one is above the law. And that's what this impeachment is all about. But we can't let the impeachment take us away from the job we have to do every day. And that is not just to hold this president accountable, but to be building our coalition to get out there, reach out face-to-face, volunteer. That's why I ask everyone to go to elizabethwarren.com, volunteer online, volunteer an hour. You'll meet some amazing people. Pitch in five bucks, be part of this, because we've got to be building the movement
0: now. And unless we support other Democratic candidates for the Senate and Congress, like we can't get these big structural change passed. You know, it's so that it's really important.
1: Absolutely, Jonathan. It's about the House. It's about the Senate. But listen, it's also about state house races. Yes, state led. Who is State Secretary of yes. State? And it's about even town council. I am building a grassroots movement because we not only. We'll have an advantage to win the White House with a grassroots movement and to take back the Senate and keep the House. But it's also about winning up and down the line. This is a chance for a major realignment. Think of it this way. Everybody who's listening to this, you've got a chance to be part of history, making the kind of history that builds an extraordinary country going forward.
0: Oh, Elizabeth, Comma, Senator Warren, thank you so much for your time. I just, I thank you so much. I can't wait to find out more ways that I can volunteer and more ways that I can help. And, um... For just constant updates for where people can update, sign up to volunteer, where can people find you? Like, where are all the resources?
1: Uh, go to elizabethwarren.com and you can pitch in five bucks. You can read about what's going on. You can see about events that are happening right in your neighborhood because people are building this grassroots movement and you can volunteer. Volunteering is the heart and soul now of how we're going to repair our democracy and make it work for all of us. Thank you so much. Jonathan, you are the best.
0: Thank you. You are. I love you. Love you too. Thank you. <laughs> Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them ever take their first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Having built a business or two myself, I know just how difficult the whole process is. But Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Yes! From LLC information to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC information plans using our link taylorbrands.com slash jvn that's t-a-i-l-o-r-b-r-a-n-d-s dot com slash jvn so start your business journey today with taylor brands You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Van Ness. My guest this week was Senator Elizabeth Warren. You'll find links to her work in the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Curious with JVN. And don't forget to donate one, three, five, seven bucks to Senator Warren's campaign, honey. Also, our theme music is free by Quinn. Thank you so much to her for letting us use it. If you enjoyed our show, introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe. Getting Curious is produced by me, Julie Creo, Ray Ellis, Chelsea Jacobson, and Colin Anderson. Our socials are run and curated by Emily Bosick.